Steven, I'm super excited to have this conversation today. So for the listeners, uh, if you've ever been on Facebook and you uh, watch like a live video and you see the hearts and the thumbs up flying across the screen with comments and like someone's doing some like live uh, live footage and, you know, those like emojis are flying across the screen. Well, uh, Steven's the guy who makes that possible. So uh, Steven, you want to give just like a quick intro to who you are, what you do, what your company is, and then let's just kind of like dive into some of this stuff we've been riffing on. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be here, Brian. My, uh, my name's Steven, CTO here at PubNub. I've written a message bus that has over 1 billion connected devices on it over the WAN, the wide area network. So guess guess what? That's like a lot of devices, right? A lot of devices connected on a message bus. Traditional message bus, you probably heard of like RabbitMQ or JMS, or there's a lot of different message buses out there. But the challenge is those things are really good for communicating with servers. But when you have a lot of devices, the problem comes in, uh-oh, how are you going to do that with a single message bus? You can't. You have to do a whole bunch of extra work. And so what we did was write our own proprietary message bus that was intended specifically to connect billions of devices. And we did it. We succeeded. Um, nice, now, yeah, it's really cool. Um, we've got lots of games connected to us. So multiplayer gaming, we make phones ring, which if you didn't know that when your phone rings, that's actable. You may have known, you might not know. That's a signal that goes to the device. Uh, and we send those signals. Um, we also power door locks and lights through IoT, uh, home automation. Um, if you're familiar with uh, pressing the button to unlock your door with the August lock, <laughs> that's one of the things we do. I've done it before. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it's it's interesting. So you you like you went right into the technical weeds. So we have like a mix of uh, listeners. So we have like the technical listeners. The the podcast is called Cash Flow. So the cash part, the C A C H E part, is for the technical listeners. And then the cash flow part, the play, the play on words is for the business people. It's all tech. Like, you know, the guests and the listeners are, are you know, definitely in the tech sphere. But uh, it's really interesting. Like, you know, it, it like the, the purpose of this show is to kind of like marry the two, like take like the tech side of building companies and marry that with like the business side of building companies. And we were even just talking like, you know, even before we hit record here, we were talking about like all sorts of stuff from like estimating you know development backlog items to like uh you know what it what it takes to to get a product to market like when you should launch your product at what stage you know how how soon should you launch it and like getting customer feedback you were talking about uh i think your experience at y combinator so uh lot to dive in there but uh you know it's really uh it's interesting so like uh let's just kind of finish off explaining what pubnub does uh so you uh you guys power a lot of things. I think you mentioned you've powered like some really, really big social media sites. Uh, can you talk at all about like those those sites and what features you power and uh, get into that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you may have heard of Clubhouse, which is uh, a communication app. So sort of like a, ra a radio, you can start your own radio station essentially. Uh, and it's real time, it's live, it's interactive and all those interactions from the audience, you know, that's the things, that's the kind of experience that we power. We've talked about it in the industry as sort of a virtual space. You can have users all, all come together in the same room in a shared experience online, and they're able to communicate. They're able to interact with uh, either throwing, you know, the heart emojis all over the place uh, or, you know, text messages, uh, being able to be joined into a conversation. All those things are signals, right? And you need to power user-to-user -user communication through these signals. And so that's that's one of the customers that we power. Also Atlassian, if you're familiar with Jira and Confluent, all those updates that occur on the page, they'll let you know that something's changed. Uh, that's something that we help. You could actually you know, even open up the Chrome Dev Console and just see, you can look and see that uh, that we help power those those experiences. Yeah, it's so awesome. It's like, it's really interesting. And I'm I'm actually interested to talk to you about this a little bit, like getting back into the tech weeds, like just building tech at scale. It's like, it's real easy to, uh, to build like, you know, features pretty quickly with modern frameworks. Uh, and they work at like not scale pretty easily. Like you can build, you can roll out features pretty quickly. Like I was building something on a Laravel app the other day. I'm like a, a, a hack for a coder. I'm not, you know, I'm not anywhere near uh you know like my 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 company Kirotech, i wouldn't be hired i wouldn't make it through the technical interview process but uh 
I was building something and I had this one feature that I got working basically by like refreshing the uh the object every single time the page loads like basically like running this little bit of logic on the object every time the page loads and it's like all right well it technically works but uh it's not you know it's a it's a it's like a it's a back-end only app but like if i try to deploy that at scale to like you know a hundred thousand users let alone billions it would uh definitely rack up uh an aws bill if it didn't crash uh the, the entire system <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah talk to me a little bit about that i'd love to kind of hear like your your experience uh like so you said you have a billion connected devices is that like yeah. per day you know just at any given time like what does that look like Ooh, uh yeah so if you look at terms of concurrency which is like all at once type deal we have powered <laughs> and have the world record for the largest online event that occurred uh on the internet and you guys do mm -hmm. yep. no kidding yeah yeah so we worked uh in tandem with akamai which is one of the most well-known cdn providers uh to power sporting events uh in asia uh, india specifically cricket if you're familiar with uh the game of yeah. cricket, yeah. ipl uh india premier league they had an event where they were broadcasting the show but they also wanted that you know live interaction uh experience for their users uh, and we helped power that. And there was a, about 25 million concurrent users all in the same shared space. Uh, that is a feat of engineering to be able to achieve <laughs> something like that. And I'm really excited to, that we were able to help help them provide that experience. Dude, so I'm sure you've seen Silicon Valley, the uh, HBO series. I love that. Yeah, it's a great show. Was it like when you guys were doing that event? Was it like uh, I forget what episode it was, but I think they were like doing the uh, like the the data transfer or something for like the porn company, and they were like compressing all their <laughs> files, and they're like freaking out, like they're like, oh, this there's so much data is flowing through our system right now, and they're like trying to keep it online and like the servers catching on fire in the garage. And <laughs> was that like was was that like what you guys were like, like all hands on deck and just you know like totally like freaking out during that moment it before that yeah we had previous events uh where we powered some super bowl experiences uh here in the u.s the we had to the, the servers were on fire they were burning <laughs> and we were all panicked we're, we we had planned it out too we had all got in the same room and we had the the tv going and we wanted to make sure that it was successful but we had some we had some uh problems that we had to take care of during the event um even back then. So th that experience had led us to be able to be more, uh, you know, relaxed with this uh, large event. Even though it was the largest event ever, uh, we still were able to uh, accomplish our goals. Yeah, wow. Um, so two two questions on that. So uh, first, like, what, what were some of the learnings you had uh, without getting like super, super, super specific, but like just high level, what were some of the learnings you had from that first one where you had kind of like that you know, Silicon Valley, Guilfoyle experience on uh, <laughs> trying to keep the servers online. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a good one. So in terms of, so our message bus is written in C. So a lot of our day-to-day -day, uh, operating that required us to make sure that we were safe with memory and things like that, which is uh, really easy to, you know, have out of memory errors or segmentation faults. So during uh, the Super Bowl event, uh, which happened, I think maybe this is 2012. So it's quite a while ago now oh wow yeah the um uh we had some segmentation faults under certain scenarios uh and we also had out of memory errors so we were able to find uh those bottlenecks in our in our code uh and sort of bypass them at least for get us through the event right by just launching more servers uh, but we wanted to make sure that it could operate successfully in the future under similar constraints uh, but without what else we didn't want to spend all that money on those servers right so we we found the bugs we uh, patched the code um and now good to go that's awesome that's awesome so my second question the uh the the cricket thing in asia the 25 million concurrent events uh that is uh i mean that, that's a huge amount of uh you know concurrent users or concurrent events happening on on a system uh, but like, I'm actually surprised I would have expected the largest ever, you know, like the world record for highest number of concurrent events, I would have expected it to be higher for some reason. Uh, but like, how, how was that determined? Like did, you know, is this like a Guinness book of world records? Did like, you know, someone come in and like 
look at like what you guys were doing and actually like formally present you an award or something for oh that would have been great yeah why, where's my award where we didn't get any award oh shit man <laughs> i know what the heck <laughs> should be that should be a thing i feel like they're yeah uh we so in terms of qualification for it akamai was the one who came out with the numbers they they've uh they're very familiar with these kinds of events and things like that so if you, if you do search for akamai ipl uh you will see you'll probably find the article um interesting say, yeah. it's called akamai ipo uh ipl india ipl Premier. okay yeah. ipl here let me just punch that in here we'll put yeah, that in the show notes too absolutely akamai, uh ipl mm -hmm. cool uh yeah, it says with uh, eighteen point six million simultaneous. Uh, this is this is Holstar, India's largest. Uh, okay, this is probably something else. All right, cool. Yeah, I'll dig into that. Um, so uh, Akamai actually they acquired a local company here, Linode. You might you might have heard of Linode before. They're uh, no, they're basically wait, I do, they acquired Linode. I always called it Linode, but I, Linode. Yeah, everyone calls it different. Yeah. <laughs> Oh wow, that's crazy! So, uh, Linode is still on its way; it's still doing a thing. Yeah, I don't know. Chris Akers was the founder. I don't know if he's still there uh, or if he's like you know out. But uh, yeah, they're still there. You know, they're like the building's still there over in. They're actually in the Corn Exchange building. It's an old uh, Corn Exchange, an old, old building in Phil like an old city, Philadelphia. You, you speak the Corn Exchange. I guess they used to trade corn futures back in the day. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. man, that's cool. So, uh, I want to get back to the question. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was, yeah. I was kind of thinking from a business perspective, you know, where's where it is, it is a lot of fun to sort of imagine a business that you could sit back and it kind of takes care of itself. And that's a lot of where the inspiration of, you know, the, the freemium model and software as a service comes in specifically with PubNub, we're an infrastructure company that sells a access to our API. So you essentially are leasing your, uh, we're leasing our debt to you, which is a uh, debt of infrastructure, uptime, uh, deliverability, and the code. So that's what you're paying for when you purchase PubNub. Uh, and sort of, it's uh, the idea is it automates itself, right? It's all automatic and things like that. Uh, but it wasn't automatic even up to this point of a couple of years ago, where we were still running manual EC2 servers. It was all manual. Right, we had to say, okay, we need a little more here. We'd look quarterly. We always make sure that we have w enough overhead. Uh, since uh, we've moved to Kubernetes, it's a different story. Now it is mostly automated throughout the infrastructure. It spins just up, like scaling up down. and scaling down. You just automate with Kubernetes. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yep. Big. You still on Amazon? You still on Amazon? One hundred percent on Amazon. We were looking over the years. We're like, maybe we can do, you know, multi-cloud. Right, maybe do a little bit of Azure, maybe do a little bit of Google GCP uh, at the same time, because then we'd be able to like you know shift our costs around and things like that. Uh, but AWS has been really good with us on savings plan uh, discounts and the ability to purchase new hardware that's faster and a little bit cheaper. We're able to maintain a really good uh, a really good business model. Yeah, I mean, multi-cloud, uh, there's like a ton of companies doing multi-cloud now. It's kind of like the new, uh, like in cloud, it's like the new buzzword to have like multiple instances and different zones and, you know, different uh, cloud providers. And I guess you kind of get rid of that like vendor lock-in fear that everyone, uh, you know, they get concerned about vendor lock-in. So that 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 does seem like it's, uh, you know, important at your scale because, you know, if you... Uh, you know, if, if you kind of get like two married into one platform, I'm I'm sure you're running in different zones. Like you're probably running like East Coast and West Coast and, you know, Europe and Asia and like running different different zones. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I guess it's hard, though, because AWS definitely has maybe GCP and Azure are catching up. But, uh, you know, AWS has the best cloud stack. You know, there's there's no question about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're seeing the same in terms of like maturity and things like. There's still a lot of challenges when it's just using EC2, their permissions infrastructure, the IAM policies. I always I try myself try to make a new IAM policy to have one service be able to talk to another one. It still doesn't work the first time, and then I try it again. Nope, still doesn't work. No permissions. It's really challenging to get that to work. But, you know, once it does, you just make sure not to touch it anymore after that. 
then uh, then you're good to go. So they could I'm do... diving into uh, Google Cloud Platform for something, and there's like literally almost two thousand permission rules in their IAM, and it's like. All right. So every single time, like there's not just like a super user setting where I can just give myself everything. Like I have to keep going back and just like adding more permissions. Like every time I get blocked on something and it's so stupid, like I can, I, I have the permission to add permissions. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, what's the point? You know, it doesn't even make any sense to me. Yeah. It's uh, you know, they, they need to provide security in ways and access control. And it could be so much simpler. I feel they could have, you know, made that a lot easier to manage. Uh, so maybe that's something that, you know, the industry can innovate in, or there's a startup idea there, sort of just, even though the complex interfaces over here, you can provide a like really simple one and it deals with all the complex stuff in the background. That would be really nice. Yeah, no kidding. Nice. I wanna take a quick break from the episode and say, if you're enjoying this content, the best way you can say thank you is to subscribe. So if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. And if you're on one of the podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button there as well. And also share it out to your friends and colleagues. If you find this content useful and you think other people will enjoy it as well, please send it out. And back to the episode. So do you have any UI in your product or is it just all like web services? Yeah, so our, our primary product is an API. Uh, and we've launched a, a new service called uh, PubNub Insights that allows you to track and visualize where your users are, how much uh, messages are they're sending and receiving, the, the largest consumers, uh, you know, their power users, things like that uh, is now available in our dashboard. Nice, so, nice. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's like change gears a little bit. So we'll go all the way back to uh, founding the company. So we, we were talking earlier on, we were, we were getting into like this concept of finding product market fit, you know, how much time you spend on building a product before you release it. And, uh, you know, like what, what you actually give to customers in the early days, you know, because you made the point, I, I love the way you phrased it. It was like, you know, if you spend a year building a product and then you launch it, you still have zero customers when you launch it. So it's better to get it out fast and get customers and let the customers guide development and also help fund it. So uh, what were those early days? Because you, you were one of the founders. So what, what were those like early days like for you guys? And uh, like, you know, also, where did the idea even come from? And then how did you like pivot to get to a fit in the market that made sense? Yeah, yeah. So the the story started like, why did we need a PubNub? Why did we need devices to communicate? Back then, there were no push notifications. Even like that didn't even exist. There were smartphones. What year wanted, is this? Uh two thousand nine ish, right? It was like right right the year before push notifications became a thing, right? So there was like, well, no way to communicate with the device. No like standardization. When we just wanted to be able to provide an experience that allowed you to track a dot on the map, right? As maybe a taxi's picking you up, something simple like that, or having multi-user uh, collaboration on a page. And that was really hard. You could do it. It was really easy to do in a, in a room, right? You can have devices connect over your Wi-Fi or your LAN and communicate over a socket, but then you'd run into permissioning issues depending on what you know target platform you're on, what the app is doing. Uh, or what the web browser is doing, there is no sort of uniform communication across all that. So we're like, why don't we make it super duper easy and provide an API? Uh, and so we did. Uh, and then immediately launched, right? I think it was about a two week cycle, right? That's about as much as you ever need to do is two weeks of development. If you're going beyond that, uh, you're starting to get into the, whoops, we're making a mistake phase. Get out there as quickly as possible. So we launched we actually did, we received multiple customers and they started paying us immediately, which was surprising. And so we had a, a game company that launched using our, our service to be able to have users play a game together, but also chat about their game experience. So you built the chat part. They built the chat bar, they had multiplayer and it worked. Uh, and even though, you know, it was essentially an MVP at that point, right? It still provided what the customer needed. And we were able to work with them, see what they're scaling up to. You know, we ultimately re-architected, rewrote the message bus in C, uh, made it globally distributed like a CDN. Uh, but all that stuff came after, right? And so it's super critical. Even when you're, you know, in Y Combinator or you're just building a startup, 
launch immediately. If you don't, you've, you're essentially giving yourself 0% success because every day that you're not launched, you don't have any opportunity to get feedback from customers. You don't have any opportunity to actually acquire customers to start paying. So you're missing out on all that opportunity. Um, and you might need to pivot anyway, right? It might not be good enough. So if you build this wonderful thing over a year, it doesn't matter because you have to throw away half of it. So that's uh, just launch as soon as possible. It, so um, before we jump to something else, this is the same thing even within an existing big business when you're launching a new product. You could spend one year, two years on a product and the product could maybe most likely fail, right? So instead of you know building this wonderful architecture and plan and all these tests and everything like that, don't. <laughs> just, just get to market as quickly as possible. Start getting customers feedback. And then, because guess what? Day one, you'll have zero customers, right? Launch day one, zero customers. Great. So now you've launched. Uh, you know, you can have some other team members work on getting customer feedback, attracting customers, getting people on board, while you continue to build on the rest of what your vision was. So just launch. That, that's that's the, the takeaway. Launch early. So uh, how 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 long did you say it took you guys to launch from like ideation to uh, like actually like selling it to customers? Oh, two weeks. Two weeks. That's that's incredible, man. Uh, so I, uh, I I've seen this so many times. Like you know, I, I have a development firm. Uh, we're like 80, 80 people or so. And we do like agency work for for clients. Like some startups, mostly it's like enterprise and growth stage SaaS, but. Uh, I can't tell you how many times people have come to us and they're like, oh yeah, we have this huge like vision. You know, we know there's a market, like we're going to, you know, we want to like spend, you know, months or years building this thing. And, you know, it just like, instead of getting to market quickly, two weeks is like insanely fast. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Uh, like I've done, I've done my own, uh, you know, SaaS businesses that typically like if I'm to, if I'm like selling within two months or three months, I'm pretty happy with that. Like, you know, kind of getting the first, first phase of the product out in two to three months, uh, is a good target for me, but, uh, two weeks, that's insane. Like, what did you even build in two weeks? Yeah. Uh, a server that was able to connect clients and allow them to chat or communicate. <laughs> yeah. So, so what was it like? You have the API. Yep. And you have, I guess, like a client layer that you install on the device. Like maybe you can bundle it into your application or something. And then, uh, so it's like, you know, some sort of library that like, let's say it's like, you know, you have a Java library for Android and you have like a C sharp library or objective C, I mean, for, um, for iOS. And then you might have like, whatever, you know, like a JavaScript, you know, library for web apps or something. And then, uh, so you just like bundle that library into your application and then you guys have your own web service API that the developers can then call that web service API and it like pushes messages to the client side. And then I guess the client side just returns just a regular old HTTP request back to the server or do you route the response back from the client to the server? Yeah, so we provide feedback on either side of the API. So it uh, is is seamless from that perspective. You know, it's... Uh... Yeah, that's how it works. I was I was actually going to brag for a second. I was the the message bus is so fast that often before you receive a response on our server that we've sent a message, the device has already received the message. So, so you, you mean get... from the HTTP response on the API? Uh huh. That's yeah. so funny, man. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it, it... um, what what about like WebSockets these days? Like, is that like I mean, WebSockets isn't a company, it's like a protocol, but is like WebSockets a threat to your business or uh, is like, what, what is, um, how do you, how do you see what, how do you think about WebSockets? We love WebSockets. It's, it's fantastic that there's an industry standard that is exactly aligned with our market, which is amazing. And it goes, there's, there's multiple protocols, right? So we've got MQTT, uh, there's gRPC, HP2 has a built-in push mechanism. We've got Web Transport, which is a, a newer a newer protocol that supports quick with reliable and lossy patterns. So you, it's easier to do uh, binary data streams and things like that. But you can lose some of the packets, right? If you're doing video streaming, things like that. So there's a lot uh, in the industry today on how devices communicate. There's protocols built for this, mm -hmm. and it's fantastic because it 
that means you know there's a, a lot of demand uh, and a huge opportunity because those protocols they're not it's all that simple. Kind of like we were describing how security access and GCP there's like two thousand permissions. Well, it's the same when you're dealing with these protocols because there's all these, all these edge cases. We'll drop a message or what happens if the message is sent before I get connected. Uh, what happens uh, if I'm offline for two days? Do I get stored and forward? There's just so much that goes into it. So yeah. you guys are basically just using WebSockets to help make your product development uh, from from like the back end perspective more seamless. And then you are basically building like kind of how like AWS abstracted away servers and network management and added like, you know, like a console and sort of like a develop like a semi-developer friendly uh, environment to uh, <laughs> to work in. Uh, you guys are doing that, but for like bi-directional message pushing. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that's, that, that's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So you were talking about scale earlier. I, I really have to ask um, when you got when this Twitter spaces launch, I think they, uh, they did like the official launch with, um, with DeSantis, he did his. Uh, oh his, yeah, I heard his, about that. <laughs> he did his like announcement or whatever that he's running for president, and uh, he did it on Twitter Spaces, like right after they launched the Twitter Spaces feature. And I think it got to like a million concurrent users or something, and like the whole thing crashed and it was like falling apart, and like people were getting kicked off. Like, were you just were you, were you guys just all like laughing? Uh, you're like, you know. You're, you you did the twenty five million with uh you know the the cricket match and then this thing's falling apart at a million were were you guys all just kind of like sitting back and laughing at that uh that sequence of events? <laughs> yeah, I was yeah exactly. I was wondering what you know I we should we should probably do a little retrospective with that on the team because just kind of looking at that you know it was only a million and they cracked. That's you know our day to day is <laughs> we're well beyond that. And uh, you guess what? They're pushing video, right? So streaming video, that's a, a big part of it. Yeah, okay. Akamai, yeah, they solved that a long time ago. And, you know, the the just video streaming, it's pretty straightforward. And it's it's not, I don't know, it's like Zoom, like what we're doing right now. We are probably exchanging UDP packets back and forth through a streaming mechanism. When you're doing it in a large broadcast scenario, you're not actually getting a live feed. You're getting compressed chunks of files, usually in a two- two to five second worth of video chunks. So your client will download those chunks and buffer for that amount of time. So you're always behind. And often it's a 40 seconds worth of latency on, on some of those live streams. You can get a lot closer, but yeah. So I where did it, do you know where it failed? Like what part of the infrastructure failed? I have no idea. I was, I was actually just curious if you knew like if they rolled their own uh like streaming platform or i i don't i don't know any of the details i just know kind of like the high level that it crashed and it was uh you know they, i think they had to restart and move it to a different account or something or obviously it probably didn't look good to uh all involved i'm sure you know musk might have been embarrassed and uh desantis might have been embarrassed i think david Sachs from the all-in podcast was involved in that too uh so it was probably uh you know a little bit of egg egg on everybody's face but uh yeah, I, I was just, you know, curious, like, uh, you know, for something like that scale, I mean, that a million concurrent users, I guess, video streaming is a different beast. But, you know, it seems like a low, uh, a low bar these days. It is low bar. Everyone's doing it. even LinkedIn is doing it. <laughs> no, LinkedIn is going to become a live stream platform company, which is crazy. Yeah, I, was, I saw I was that. Looking. So do you remember Periscope? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Twitter acquired Periscope and the team is actually uh, responsible for the spaces, the Twitter spaces, right? So I'm guessing- Oh, the Periscope team is responsible for spaces. That's what, that's, you know, I'm I'm looking into that just because Kayvon, the CEO of Periscope was 100% uh, focused on spaces, right? And so I'm assuming that's where a lot of that tech and you Twitter Periscope, they use PubNub uh, when they were launching, right? And this is actually a good story uh, that we should walk through when they uh, they actually ran into an issue uh, and they said, hey, uh, we're we're not able to pull some messages from history. Um, we're using our iOS SDK. Uh, and so we're like, hey, okay, they're they're only like, you know, maybe five blocks away from Ross. Why don't we go over and walk over to the office in person and actually visit them on site? Just, you know, to be do good customer service, might as well solve their issue immediately. 
so we walk in and they still hadn't really super launched yet. We didn't know who they were. It was just like another customer at PubNub. We walk in and everyone has one or two phones at their desk that are all have like these live feeds on them. They're like, and then there's different people on those on those uh, calls that are actually talking. It's like, wait, that looks like that person looks familiar. That wait, isn't that Aaron Paul? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's Aaron Paul. And we're like, is that live right now? Yeah, that's him. He's live talking right now on Paris. I'm like, what? We're really <laughs> we had no idea what this startup was doing. You know, in uh in near downtown Soma of San Francisco. Uh, so we we go in and we help them. We solve their problem, and off they go. And they were doing huge. They could have, you know, been, they could have just kept going. They could have done what TikTok did, right? They could have replaced what Vine did, what TikTok did. They could have been the app, but sort of Twitter sort of absorbed them and they decided to kill both Vine and Periscope, which is a huge mistake because that left a whole gap in the market. So now you've got TikTok, which took over and, you know, Instagram's trying to catch up. So it's, it's a part of the story. I think a huge part of the story of why they failed and why they stopped is because they tried to, you know, take a lot of that tech and build it in-house. So we provided this infrastructure that scaled to the moon and they decided, okay, instead of building more products and features and capabilities into the platform, we're just going to rewrite some of the code internally, right? So what that did is that it hampered them from going further. They couldn't add more features because they were doing busy doing a rewrite that they didn't need to do. And so they're actually trying to take out some, they were trying to take out PubNub too. They're trying to take us out. And so they did, they flipped off the switch. We saw their traffic drop and, and we're like, oh, well, there goes Periscope. But then like an, like 10 minutes later, it all came back because their system, their system crashed and burned and they had to flip back over. So they did that for another six months. They flipped off, flipped back on, flipped off. They eventually got it right. But guess what? Six months is too long to stay. Yeah. How much time did you spend like spinning your wheels when, you know, there's, there's tech out there. It's like, why, like, why build a data center anymore? You know, who, who builds data centers? So it's like the same concept. I, I have a, uh, my CEO coach, Mike Krupit, he was the the CEO at CD now. Uh, I don't know if you remember CD now, but it was like the first e-commerce store that sold CDs. I think eventually it got bought by, uh, they got they were they were in the 90s they were in the dot com boom they got bought by some private equity that then sold it to amazon and then it became amazon eventually but uh they uh so so you know he was telling me like you know they they raised uh like i don't know tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars to build a data to basically build like a web server environment and build an e-commerce website they had like 300 engineers and like basically the 300 engineers were racking servers, installing Linux, configuring Cisco switches, writing HTML and like PHP code and <laughs> or whatever, like whatever they were using, probably C or something like that back then. And uh, and yeah, man, like now you can just get Shopify. Yep. Yep. You just click. Yep. Click a button. <laughs> that's that's what it is. That's, make it easy. Make it a good price. And there you go. That's what. That's where you can make money. It's just making those business processes easy. Yeah, yeah. So that it, reinventing the wheel. Uh, you know, we talked about the you know building too much before you release. Uh, reinventing the wheel. I think that's another mistake I've seen made a lot. Yeah. Uh, so that that's that's really interesting about uh, the Periscope. I also go, going back to the Silicon Valley HBO uh, reference. Uh, I think there was a joke in there that was related to periscope too because i think periscope another reason they they failed i think was because there were so many like dick pics going around on on, <laughs> uh, on their platform and then like people right. would log in and then you'd get like you know i forget what they called it but it was like you know you'd just be like checking some feed out and all of a sudden someone would like you know throw their dick on the screen and then like <laughs> just log out real fast so that whole thing that not hot the hot dog not hot dog app that jin yang built oh, yeah. he, he built the image recognition software yeah. And then like, I, you know, the Ehrlich Bachman was like, oh, this is so awesome. And he went to go sell it and it like only could identify a hot dog or not a hot dog. And then the the uh, the private equity firm or whatever, like bought it because P Periscope needed it to like stop the dick pic problem. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the joke. I think they're making a dig at Periscope on that one. <laughs> yeah, that uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I get what. I got to re that's a show that's worth rewatching. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's funny, man. Like I have a lot of friends. Uh, I, I love it. I, I personally enjoy watching it, but I, I have a lot of friends who are like, you know, startup founders, you know, serial founders. And they're like, I can't watch it. It gives me too much anxiety because it's like it too did, real. Yeah. It was, it was really real. They got it spot on. They really did. <laughs> they also had the guy, uh, the, what, what was this? I can't remember seeing one of the main characters that would always just try to throw up constantly because he was way too panicked about. Yeah. Richard. Yeah. The CEO. So, yeah, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah stress is really high yeah so i've seen both ehrlich bachman i forget his real name uh in real life and i've seen him and jin yang i forget jin yang's real real name in real life but i've seen both of them live at stand-up comedy shows like outside of the silicon valley hbo thing they're both funny uh that's awesome i was supposed to see ehrlich bachman i forget i can't can't remember his name right now i was supposed to see him again in a different show and the show got canceled because he called in a bomb threat on a on a amtrak in Ew. new jersey i was oh, like dude was like how stupid do you gotta be man oh. <laughs> dang i don't know he must have uh, had something going on but uh oh wait that was him or was it just some patron that no in real life like the guy who plays the Ehrlich like, bachman character like the no actor way. That, <laughs> that dude called in a bomb threat on an amtrak train in okay new jersey. yeah that's not a good idea <laughs> no. yeah <laughs> dang but uh, yeah, man. So um, let's go to uh, we were talking about San Francisco. I'm actually coming out. I'm going to be in Tenderloin in a few weeks. Uh, but uh, it's been a while. So the last time I was in San Francisco is pre pandemic. You live downtown, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. So what is like I keep I keep hearing about San Francisco. Like, what is it like? Is it you know, the news has you believe that it's like a ghost town and it's like terrible and there's like you know crime everywhere and it's you know don't go there and i mean i live in philly so i you know I, I see i live right in center city philadelphia so i see like that stuff you know often but yep. uh you know i'm curious what it like what, what it's like these days in san francisco well it is true grocery shopping is now free <laughs> it's a victimless crime right so just walk in and walk out uh, and there's no resistance wow it, it's just it's super common uh, and it's it's that's like the government is just basically saying like victimless crimes just ignore them just let them happen so the businesses are suffering the local businesses yeah yeah that's what we uh we, a whole foods opened up a few blocks away from where i live i'm like hooray that's awesome i have a nearby grocery store that's you know at, at least it's you know because soma is mostly industrial and, and businesses uh but and that's where i live and so it's nice to have some residential type amenities uh but they closed it down saying you know no one was paying for the groceries so <laughs> just which is a problem right so yeah and it is a ghost town here in san francisco the majority of all the office buildings were all desk jobs which can be work from home and after we have a regression to the mean right which is about six months for humans when something changes and it, it you know it, it's usually a big change right? You, you, it affects you and you want to go back to the normal, but if you're stuck down in that, uh, that despair for, for a lot longer after six months, it becomes the new normal for a human. And so we got used to working from home. Nobody wants to come back. And this yeah. is what happened with San Francisco. So all of the towers in the, in the city, they're empty. What are we going to do with all the empty towers? And you heard that, what is it? You know, the vacancy rate for office space leasing is in the range of 50% vacancy, but it's worse because they're only counting the non-filled leases. E there are still a lot of leases that they're including, but are still empty office spaces. So as soon as those leases expire, we're going to see 70 plus percent vacancy. I don't know what tower it is, but it's one of the main towers in, in SOMO. Uh sold in like 2017 or 18 for 300 some million and it just uh traded again at like 60 or 70 million that's a great price discount yeah <laughs> yeah and uh and it's basically all these like it's like a private ec private equity firms are buying these towers now to take them off the books of the banks and the uh and the you know the uh, real estate investments like the REITs and all these things are taking these towers off those off the books of those companies like you know just so they can take the the asset uh, off their books and uh, 
and then they're buying them like super cheap. And I think these like PEs or whatever are betting that, you know, the market's going to come back in 10 years. We're going to be back to like 2019 again. You know, everything's going to be crazy booming. Uh, you know, who, who knows if it's going to happen? I mean, it definitely seems like, you know, Silicon Valley is dispersed. And uh, I guess by, you know, kind of by extension, San Francisco tech is kind of dispersed. And, uh, you know, now you've got people working from like Lake Tahoe and Boise and, <laughs> yeah. you know, Austin and all these other places. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That's uh, that's what we saw as well at PubNub when you know we kind of closed the doors. We were like, okay, we're also going to close our office. Uh, no point in paying for it if we're not going to be there. And most of our team moved away. So even if we were to say, you know, launch a new office here, there's no one to go to it. So where'd I, they move? Uh, Portland, um, uh, south, south here in California, just move south or. You know, so most people move south. Okay. Uh, so it's yeah, just cheaper, just... and I guess you you know don't have to worry about you know the the state of the city. What do, I'm curious, like, what do you think about like what it's it's to me it's weird what the San Francisco government is doing, uh, the municipal government there, like with crime. Uh, but what what do you think about it, like as a resident? They are currently buying, so the city of San Francisco is buying some buildings uh, specifically to give the unhoused houses. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of folks who don't want that because, you know, you're going to have. Um, They're buying other, buildings downtown? Uh, yeah, all over, all over the city. Like, like what neighborhoods? Like Tenderloin or Somo or? Yep, every single neighborhood that there's a building that's available, they have so much cash on hand that they are trying to buy these buildings uh, because th there is a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of homeless, right? There's a lot of uh, people that are on the streets um, and they see one option with their cash reserves is to, uh, you know, actually buy homes for these people. And I actually, I'm okay with that. I, th I think that's fine. I think we could do we could do all of that we actually get to the point where i think this would be really cool and in star trek right there's no there's no money in star trek right it's a society free of money there is which is really weird i've watched star trek for many years and i didn't notice that until you know after i was out of college i'm like why did it take me so long to realize that star trek there's no, it's because they have replicators right once you have a replicator technology a replicator can replicate a replicator and so you have an unlimited amount of replication capability you can food and clothes and buildings we don't have that yet but we can try to get closer to this uh, and provide the ability for people to have these kinds of lives where they don't have to work right they could just choose to do what they want and you know we have infrastructure set up because we have such abundance to be able to uh, afford to have some people of our society start living like that Literally had the exact same conversation with a, a friend of mine about the replicators. I think I think uh, I always referred to them as materializers or something, but uh, I don't know the Star Trek terminology. But I've had that exact same conversation about the Star Trek example. Uh, and you know, I guess I, I'm not a huge like Star Trek watcher, so I don't know all the details. But I think they like, you know, in in lieu of fiscal currency, like currency was becoming like reputation, like your reputation as a person. Uh, yeah, because like yeah everything was available like you could just anything you needed you could just like get it yeah it's all be yep exactly reputation uh and the merits that you have along the way uh and what you achieve that becomes the the currency and and i you know I, the, the ultimate question comes in like hey once you get to the elon elon musk level of wealth what do you do well you can see what he's doing now like he could just retire for the rest of life you know for a million lives he, he never has to work again but you get to the point where, you know, you want to, you want to keep pushing forward. You want to keep pursuing. And it's, it's not about money anymore at that point. It's, I think it's not about money, like a, a really long time before you get to Elon Musk's level. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to be like, you know, to, to, to do that, like to, to, to win in business that, that, at that scale, like whether you're Elon Musk or whether you're Bill Gates or any of these, you know, like, you know, Zuck, like any of these like epic, uh, you know, founders, I, I think you have to, you know, there's a lot of traits, but, you know, some of it's luck, 
some of it's uh like just sheer intelligence some of it's like raw uh cognitive ability memory uh some of it's like just like this brute force uh intensity that you can push through like literally any problem like no problem is an obstacle that stops those types of people like they're just like they brute force through every problem and I think they also have to have like some weird like screw loose that uh, like they're just obsessed. Like they have to keep building. Like they have to keep building and like building more and then building more and like they can't stop. Like it's it's like a compulsion. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, the 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 way I see it is uh, you spend you know a decade plus honing these skills that you've become really good at, and you want to keep doing you want to keep doing it right, even if you're you're in a sport and you're you're really good and you keep getting better and you've achieved this skill set. It doesn't make sense to just kick back afterwards and not use that skill anymore. It's, it's something you want to continue to use and leverage and something you've learned over the years uh, because you got good at it. I think that's, uh, I think that's what drives at least, you know, those, those folks. Um, You just want to keep, keep at it. Like there's no point in just saying you finally got good at it. Like (laughs) give up now. No, I think you just keep pushing forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back back to San Francisco because I don't, I don't think we closed the loop on that. So uh, why why do you still live there if it's like you know it's got all these uh, you know challenges? Uh, what what keeps you there? I'm curious. Uh, the you know my my co-founder and I still live here, so that's that's a big part of it. Uh, uh, I am looking at Seattle because that's where I came from before here. <laughs> so, oh, okay, cool. Uh, Seattle's looking pretty good right now. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a look up there every now and then, but uh, yeah. I've, uh, some of our exec team is still here. So in uh, the San Francisco area. So just to have like those in-persons basically, but like it, it, you don't really enjoy living there anymore? Or... Uh, yes, yeah, a good question. Um, uh, for me, it's uh, it, I don't think I would have much of a difference of opinion where I lived. Yeah, you're just kind of like doing your thing and just, you know, working away at what you got going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I totally feel that. I I love I love living in cities. Uh, I love Philly because it's walkable, and all my friends are here. So like, I don't think you know, I, I don't really want to leave Philly, but uh, it it's sad, man. I, I to think about like San Francisco. I guess like the Silicon Valley area is probably not as impacted as San Francisco. I think you know, there's probably still like pretty good tech centralization happening in Silicon Valley. But even there, I mean, it's not what it used to be. It's, uh, you know, it's like a, a shadow of its former self at this point. And uh, it's kind of sad to see, uh, you know, that I guess COVID kind of was the death nail, but it's sad to see that whole region isn't, you know, anywhere near as booming as it used to be. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, walking the streets. It's empty. I remember the days when it was so crowded that you couldn't see to the next block. Uh, But now you can see all the way to the end, (laughs) as far as as I can see uh, in the streets. They closed down the mall here in San Francisco. Um, And so it's just many businesses are just closing because there's no foot traffic. There's no reason to come to the city. So what do they get? What do we do? What's the next step? What do we do? Uh, Turn... I, we have to turn it into residence. That's the only thing I can think of. Just make it attractive for residents. But there's problems to solve before that can happen. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, I mean, Philly, Philly has some of the same challenges. It's definitely gotten uh, it. It's got worse, and then it got a little better after COVID. Uh, I'd say it's like you know, as far as like people being out, it's about the same as it was before COVID. Like people going out and doing things, and restaurants being open. It's you know, it's back, but. Uh, the crime still seems higher. I don't know. Yeah, I'm hearing more about it, but I mean, I also like if you watch the news, like you're gonna think that you walk outside of your door and you're instantly shot. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I've I've never actually seen a shooting, but I hear about them a lot. So I don't know. You know, I guess we'll uh, time will tell. But uh, you know, it's it's I, I generally feel safe, but I'm also a six foot eight guy, and uh, you know, my oh, wife wow. is uh, <laughs> six foot eight. <laughs> <laughs> My wife, who's uh, you know a five foot eight or whatever she is, or five foot six, she I think she's five foot six. Uh, she uh, she says sometimes walking alone, it's definitely like certain certain blocks are you know even in our neighborhood certain blocks. We live in like the nicest neighborhood in Philly, and certain blocks she's like, yeah, I don't like walking around there. Ah, oh, 
Oh yeah, that's uh, that's uh, not good to have a feeling of that kind of you know fear. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, man. I think we're uh, we're getting to a good closing here. Anything else you want to hit on that I didn't uh, hit on here? Let's see. We talked about the product, uh, quick development, and rapid cycles. Um, we didn't talk a whole lot about you know businessy aspects of it. We kind of touched on some of those things, uh, but like thinking. You know, wh- why start a business? Why go into it? Um, yeah, what was your why? Uh, so I could just play video games all day. Because the business yeah. was just <laughs> over there on the side doing its thing. I could just sit back and like, you know, turn on the TV and, you know, play some uh, some video games. Oh, and yeah. Business says they just run on autopilot. Man. Yeah, exactly. You don't yeah. have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I made that. Yeah. Uh, that's not how they work. <laughs> the, more, yeah, the more success, the more work. But like, I think the ultimate trick if you can like, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day because my wife was playing the new, uh, the new Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Nice. And I and I was sitting on the couch on my laptop, like writing an ERD, and uh, so I was thinking like, you know, this is kind of like my my form of a video game right now. I'm sitting here like writing, you know, data relationships and uh, <laughs> mapping out table structures. <laughs> so. Uh, you know that that I was that I was thinking about that in my head. It's like you know, business is like my uh, like the game I play. It is. It, it's a lot of fun. It's doing business once once you've had that you know experience over the years and being able to continue to to work on that. You there is a puzzle every time, and being able to solve those problems is very rewarding and even more rewarding than you can get from a video game because there's some real world, you know, real world impacts there. You can go spend the points that you get somewhere. Yeah, you still yeah the video game you can spend points yeah. Well, no, I mean like business. Yeah, you can go. Uh, you know, you can go spend the points you win. That's right. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. You do can. Yep. There's a lot of points out there that are available for the taking and having. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. This was an awesome time. Cash flow. Did you clear your cash flow?